Hey, Pastor Jerry here. Some of you have seen me uh, doing the communion meditation or the offering, uh, maybe the benediction. Uh, I've uh, not had the opportunity until now to uh, bring the message for the weekend worship services, but Pastor Brian asked me to continue on in the series that we've been going through as a church called God Stories. So uh, it's a blessing for me uh, to be doing this uh, today. I want to begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your hearts with me? Father, thank you again for all the ways that you bless us every day. Now we pray that you would open our hearts to your word and our, uh, again, uh, our, our whole lives that we could be changed by you today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when Chris Carrier hung up the phone, he was stunned. You see, the man on the other end of the phone was a major in the police department in Coral Gables, Florida, the city where Chris lived. The man who shared with him told him that he had called because someone had finally confessed to a crime that had occurred 22 years earlier. In fact, it had happened to Chris. Chris was a 10-year-old fifth grader, in fact, at a Christian school there, and a man named David McAllister, who had been fired by Chris's father for being drunk at work, got so incensed by that that he figured out a way to actually kidnap Chris. And when he did, he burned him with cigarettes, he uh, hit him with an ice pick numerous times, and at the end of that terrible scenario, actually shot him in the head and left him for dead in the Florida Everglades. Now, amazingly, Chris survived, uh, but obviously had some issues as the result of that. He lost sight in one eye and had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, nightmares for many, many years after that. Well, Chris, you see, had be, been raised, rather, in a Christian home and went on in his life to actually become a youth pastor in the church that he had grown up with. You know, sometimes that he would give his testimony, people would sometimes come up to him afterwards and say, you know, what if you had the opportunity to actually face and speak to the person who did these unspeakable things to you, what would you do? And he often said that uh, he would jump at the opportunity, but when that chance finally came, uh, he was not sure. You know, as a Christian and as a pastor in particular, he knew what the Bible said about forgiveness and about even loving and loving, uh, that is even loving our enemies. But he was also dealing with some very real pain in his life, trauma. So when that opportunity finally came about, he really struggled. He didn't know what he was gonna do. I mean, think about it. What would you do? You know, every one of us has been wronged in life. We can identify with those who've been mistreated because it's happened to you and to me at one time or another. I think this is why most of us, if we're really honest, 
We actually like it when we watch a movie and somebody who has gotten away with something wrong finally gets caught and gets their comeuppance, if you know what I'm saying. This could be true in sports, uh, when we read a book, uh, when we see something on the news. So the question for us today is, when life isn't fair for us as Christians, what do we do? Do we just become a doormat? Do we just take it? Uh, do we live kind of a frustrated uh, Christian life where things just get pent up and unresolved? Um, or are there some answers in the Bible? And, and I believe there are. So if you have your Bible today, I'd like to encourage you to open to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 21 today. And by the way, uh, in the notes tab, uh, I have an outline prepared for you that you can follow along with if that would help you. Let's begin by reading in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. It says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, overcoming the desire to get back when you've been hurt is possible. But you've got to apply the things that Paul the Apostle left for us here in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And the first point is this. I want to encourage you, if you want to get over this and get through it in a healthy way, first of all, you need to let God avenge your pain. You know, the desire for revenge... It's actually pretty normal if you think about it. Most people, I think, assume that revenge is bad, kind of a primitive emotion uh, that has no place in the Christian's life. But, and certainly, uh, let me back up, certainly there are extremes that are unhealthy, but at the core, the desire for revenge or why we feel that way involves two what I would consider to be healthy issues. The first is this, self-preservation. Have you ever noticed that when, when something comes at your eye, like a bug or maybe something the wind has blown comes at your eye, how your eye automatically blinks? 
It's a self-protective mechanism. And I think in a similar way, that's how God has wired all of us on the inside. We have a thing inside of us that wants to preserve our health. And I think that's fair and right. But, but in addition to self-preservation, there's also the desire for justice. I think this is why we as people in general applaud the person who kind of adopts the role as a vigilante, meaning somebody who goes through the, the system and tries to right a wrong by going through maybe with the legal authorities or following the right kind of protocol in resolving something and it doesn't get done. And in the end, he takes things into his own hands. And that's why when we watch movies like this, we go, yeah, come on. Because why? There's something in us that feels like, you know, Justice needs to be served in some way. But the problem is that revenge is almost always about control. Now, think about this. When I've been wrong, or wronged, excuse me, there's something in me that wants the upper hand. I want the ability to dominate, to have power over the people and situations that caused me to hurt. But what makes it wrong is that in most cases, I want to get back, but not to get even. No, I want to get back and I want to make it worse for the person who hurt me. The problem with revenge, like all sin, is that it gives a sense of temporary fulfillment, but in the end, it only stokes the fires of rage and bitterness on the inside. And you know, those that nurse those feelings of resentment end up becoming prisoners of the worst sort. Because as one medical doctor put it some years ago, you know, you get ulcers not so much from what you eat, but from what's eating you. And this is why the Bible says here in Romans 12, which I'm going to read again in verse 17, it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So if you want to overcome that tendency on the inside to get back, you, you need to let God avenge your pain. See, one of our most fundamental problems as human beings is that we're simply not able to be objective when we or someone we love has been wronged. Because you see, pain obscures things. It, it renders our judgment in kind of a skewed way, especially when it's personal. And here's the thing, God knows all the facts. He knows the truth. And as a result of that, only he is uniquely able to administer justice in a true and effective way. And that's why we need to release control to God for the injustice that we've experienced or maybe that's been experienced by somebody we love. 
Because that's one of the keys to being set free again. The second point is this. Not only do we need to let God avenge our pain, but we need to label sin honestly, but to love sincerely. You know, living the way that the Bible says we should live is risky, isn't it? When you try to do what the Bible teaches here in this passage in Romans chapter 12 uh, says that we should do, you make yourself vulnerable, don't you? You know, Jesus in John 13, on the night he was gonna be betrayed, uh, told his disciples in so many words, hey, I've set you an example. You should do the same for one another. Do you remember what he did? He got up from the table and he washed each one of their feet. Have you ever thought about this? Or maybe this has actually happened to you, metaphorically. <laughs> you know, when you wash people's feet, sometimes you get kicked. And you know, when you've been hurt repeatedly, it's easy to get cynical, isn't it? Sort of a once bit, twice shy kind of a thing. So what can we do once we've decided, though, to let God avenge our pain? Well, first off, to me, we need to be willing to label the wrong done to us for what it really is, sin. Now, many Christians think that forgiveness means to ignore what's happened, to pretend that it's okay. But you know what that is? <laughs> That's nothing more than what I call religious denial. If you really want to overcome the feelings of wanting to get even, you need to be honest about what has happened to you, not only to yourself, but if it's possible, to those who have done it to you. Now, quick parentheses, you know, sometimes you can't do that. Maybe somebody has passed away and you can't speak to them anymore, or you're living in another place now, and maybe it's just dangerous to go and talk to them again. They're not a safe person. But labeling something for what it is or was as sin is still crucial here. Because this is what the Bible means. This is what Paul the Apostle meant when he said to hate what is evil. Because it's, see, to me, until you label sin honestly, you can never do the next part, which is to love sincerely. You know, sincere love is a key ingredient to restoring relationships. Some other religions, not all, but some other religions actually teach the importance of not hurting others, uh, even their enemies. But you know, only Christianity goes beyond that, saying that we need to not only show love to those who hurt us, but we need to do that in both word and deeds, meaning our actions need to speak just as loudly as our words. But you know, in the process, our love needs to be sincere, meaning without pretense or deceit. I really believe firmly that our enemy, the devil, better known as Satan, uh, gets a major opening in our relationships whenever we try to get away with kind of what my mom used to call a fake, kind of a saccharine sweet 
kind of an expression of love towards other people, especially those who've hurt us. But in the process, we need to remember something, and this is very important. Actions lead and feelings follow, not the other way around. What we do affects how we feel just as much as how we feel affects what we do. Now, our love needs to be real. This is what 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 uh, says very clearly. And we need to remember that the way the Bible defines love, that godly love isn't based necessarily on feelings. Feelings may be there, but they may not. Godly love is based on a choice. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul the Apostle said how, how love keep, does not keep a record of wrongs. You know, so that, that little data base that you have in your head, or I don't know, maybe you actually write it down, got to work on that. Got to work on deleting that and not keeping that record. Well, how do you do that? Well, the best way to get rid of a bad habit is to take on a better one. That's my strong opinion. What does Paul the Apostle tell us here in Romans chapter 12 again? Well, he told us several things. I'm just going to use kind of the action words here. He said, we need to share. We need to demonstrate hospitality. We need to bless other people. We need to rejoice with other people. We need to mourn with those who mourn. We need to be humble. These are action words. These are things that we take action on trusting that God is going to change our feelings in the process. And when we do, the Bible says it'll be like heaping burning coals on the head of somebody. Now, don't picture that like you got your hibachi with your, you know, you know the big long metal tongs and you can take it, put it on their head and fry their head or something. That's not the picture. Having a burning coal or giving someone a burning coal or a set of burning coals is actually a blessing there in that culture where it wasn't always easy to get a fire going, especially when it was cold. The picture I want you to think of, though, for our day and age is this, that, you know, the burning coals is kind of a metaphor for we want to melt that frozen heart that's in that other person. That's what we want to do. As you shower those people with love in various forms, we need to trust that God's going to change their heart. But the third point is this. We need to not only uh, let God avenge our pain and to, you know, label sin honestly and to love sincerely, but the third thing is to live in harmony and peace. You see, God wants us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Did you notice that? You know, in the Bible, the Greek word, New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word for peace not only signifies the absence of war, it actually signifies harmonious relationships. You know, whenever we've been wronged, there's a tendency that all of us have to opt for kind of this cheap form of forgiveness instead of the real thing and, and settle for this uneasy kind of quasi-truce, you know, or what the French people call detente, which means it, it's like a fake peace. Like, okay, we're not killing each other, but, you know, inside, boy, if we got a chance, we would. 
you know what that's like. And don't tell me you haven't had this happen where, you know, you, you don't have the greatest relationship with somebody and then you're like in Long's or maybe in Costco and you see that person out of the corner of your eye in a distance and suddenly you, you think, oh, that's right, I needed that item in the other aisle and you go to the other direction because you don't want to face that person. You, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Because we've all done that because we just don't want to deal with it. But you know, to live in harmony means to be willing to restore peace with those that have offended you. See, instead of just terminating the relationship or kind of tolerating this kind of, like I say, this fake kind of a sense of, okay, well, at least we're not really having a big war here, okay? The Bible says that we need to choose to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15 and make a sincere offer to have your relationship restored to that, with that person before the Lord. Now, if you've been around the block a few times, you know what I mean when I say that offering reconciliation to someone doesn't automatically bring restoration, does it? Now look, forgiving someone does usually involve a costly sacrifice on our part. Meaning if I've been hurt to forgive someone, there's a cost to me. But, but listen, it's not a weak, kind of a look the other way, peace at any price kind of a, kind of a, a, a situation. I don't think that's what the Bible calls us to do or to be. It's, a, it's more of a courageous choice to confront something that isn't healthy. An attitude, an action that if it goes unchecked, it's just going to fester. It's, it's going to eat away like a spiritual cancer, not only uh, for the person who did it to you, but it could, again, spread, you know, like a virus, because we're all sensitive to that right now. Okay, so think of, this, think of it this way. If sin goes unchecked, and it's really not dealt with, then it could spread to other people, too. That's not good. You know, if the one that has wronged you demonstrates a genuine repentance, meaning to do a 180, to turn around, you need to offer reconciliation. This is, this is what the Bible teaches. Now, of course, if they refuse to do that or even acknowledge that they were wrong, we're, we're not called to live in pretense. The Bible says we're called to live at peace. And so in verse 18, this is what I think Paul the Apostle meant here. I'll read this verse again. It says here, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. See, in other words, if you can't make peace, then keep the peace. Look, one of the truths of life, and I think it's just part of living in a world that has been permanently marred by sin, is that some people are, not, are just not going to like you, no matter what you say or do. It may be for a number of different reasons. It may be your ethnicity, your culture, uh, your appearance, your personality. 
Look, I don't know why, okay? I've, I like to think of myself as a friendly person, but I've met people over the years that for whatever reason, they just didn't like me. And I've concluded, well, maybe it's because of how I looked. Or they found out that, um, you know, I used to work at a place like Punahou's, so they have a, so they, there's this sort of like, well, you look like somebody who mistreated me before. So therefore, I, you know, now they don't come right out and say it sometimes, but it's just the way they come off to me. And, you know, that could be true with anybody. Some people just are not going to like you. Others simply won't like you just because, you know why? Because you follow Jesus. This is what the Bible said. It's very, it's very clear. If they persecuted you, Jesus said, or they persecuted me, excuse me, they're going to persecute you sometime just because you're following me. But, you know, if you've honestly done, done your best to offer uh, reconciliation to someone, to restore that relationship, if the people don't want it, you need to just commit the rest to God. In other words, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people and leave the rest for God to handle in his way and in his time. Well, when that guy that I was telling you about at the beginning, Chris Carrier, finally met the man who had tried to kill him, it was, well, a little more than awkward. The guy that he met, David McAllister, was 77 at that point. He was blind from glaucoma. He was in a nursing home. He had no family or friends whatsoever. You know, even though as Chris went there, he was accompanied by an older, trusted pastor friend, he was really nervous about what that, how that was going to go. Once they were introduced, at the beginning, uh, McAllister, the man who had kidnapped him and abused him so badly, denied tried to, trying to kill Chris at first, but eventually he admitted it. You know, there was no arrest that day. The statute of limitations had expired many, many years earlier. But the pain in Chris's heart was still as real as ever. But then, at a critical moment, Chris decided to reach out and take David McAllister's hand there in that nursing home bed that he was laying in. When he did, the man broke down and he apologized for everything that he had done. You know, at the end of that conversation, Chris told him, you know, I hope you have a good night's sleep tonight. And that old, sad man said, I will now. You know, Chris came to visit David McAllister regularly after that. He actually even brought his wife and his two daughters to provide some semblance of family for this poor, pathetic man. More importantly, Chris was able to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with this guy. And shortly before he passed away, David McAllister actually committed his life to Christ. About a month before he died, he told reporters from CNN who had heard about this story, he told them that Chris Carrier had been the best friend he had ever had in his whole life. While the world marveled at the, his choices, Chris Carrier, when he was interviewed by the reporters, said this. He said, while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, 
From my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or had spent my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man I am today, the man my wife and children love and the man God has helped me to become. Here's my question as we close. Do you have peace in your heart today? You know, the Bible teaches very clearly that you cannot ultimately have peace with yourself and others until you have peace with God. And this only comes when we've asked Jesus Christ to be our Lord, meaning our master and our savior, the one who forgives us for our sins. I know that some of you today are thinking to yourself, you know, Pastor Jerry, I appreciate this message, but you do not understand how badly I've been scarred. And you know, I'm not gonna pretend I do, but I can tell you this much, Jesus understands. Do you know that he's been scarred? And that because of his scars, that he offers forgiveness, not just to you, but to all those who come to him. Maybe some of you today need to do some business with God. You need to forgive someone and you need God's help to do that. Others of you though may need to find forgiveness in Christ first. And if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, I'm gonna pray with you right now in just a moment. And I'm gonna invite you to accept his forgiveness so that he could be your leader and give you perhaps the best sleep you ever got tonight. Would you pray with me now? Dear God, thank you again for the truth that you give us in the Bible. Thank you for the fact that when the sun sets us free, that we'll be free indeed. And I wanna pray for people that are struggling today I want to pray for every person that needs to forgive, and I ask that you would help them to do that today, to apply these truths to their heart and give them the courage and the wherewithal to reach out and resolve things as best as they can within their ability and, and power. But you know, for those of you today who have come and are watching online, I want to invite you, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, I want to pray a prayer with you right now and invite you to do that. Would you pray with me right now? God will hear you right where you are and will answer this prayer if you do this sincerely. Pray with me right now. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for his forgiveness of me. And Lord, I ask forgiveness. I ask that you be my leader, that you help me to become the person that deep down I really wanna be. And I ask that you help me to follow you today. Give me your peace, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, you just made the best decision you could ever make. And I wanna encourage you as this week progresses, to look for God working in your life. And you know, we have lots of materials for you. If you want to grow in your faith, no matter what direction that is, I wanna encourage you to contact me or one of the other pastors. We'd be more than glad to help you grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless.